We have been uh, dissecting a, uh, a little phrase we use around here, blessed to be a blessing. And so over the last few weeks, I've just kind of been tearing that apart, breaking it down and looking at what does that really mean? We talked first about being blessed and what it means to experience God's presence and, and to just really have our identity in Him, be His sons and daughters. And I think that came through in the worship this morning a little bit uh, and some of the songs that it's not earned. It's not anything I've done. It's not, any, it's not who we are. Who we are is kids of God that he loves. And I think that is just so, so huge. We'll probably circle back around to that at some point because I just think that's a big issue. And then more recently, we've been talking about the flip side of that coin. Once we have that inside of us, we, we really as Christians realize that it's not an end-all be-all, that God doesn't bless us just to bless us. He blesses us to then participate, partner with Him in being a blessing to other people. And we've been talking about that the last few weeks. And we talked about loving our neighbors. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk a lot more about that in the weeks ahead. Uh, and then we, uh, we also talked last week about caring for the poor. And then this morning, I want to uh, kind of grab a hold of that third rung there on that little ladder, uh, taking the good news to other people. And I want to talk specifically today, what I, what I mean by this part of this phrase is specifically cross, other people cross-culturally and those that are kind of outside of our little box. And so we'll, uh, we'll look at that a little bit. My text this morning is from the book of Acts, the first few verses of the book of Acts. But let's, uh, let's pray first and then we'll read together. So, Lord, uh, I I pray you would give us a a broader awareness this morning of your kingdom and help us to understand how big your kingdom is and who it is that you intend to reach. your name we pray, amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, uh, that is the best name on the planet, isn't it? I mean... Somebody name your kid Theophilus. I just do it. Theo for short? Come on. Uh, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. I think, I don't know if Paul could write longer sentences. I mean, he just... uh, (laughs) My my editorial comment there. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Alright, that is an action-packed little uh, passage there. I want to try to break that down a little bit first, and then we'll do some application. But uh, I I referenced uh, Theophilus the mystery man of, one of the mystery men of Scripture. We don't know who Theophilus is or much about him, but I would like to know that. Uh, Luke spent a significant portion of time and energy to write these two books addressed to Theophilus. So I'd like to know who this guy is, but he does have a very cool name. 
He references his former book, which is, of course, the Gospel of Luke, kind of a volume one, uh, with the, the book of Acts then being volume two. So they really are connected. And he says in volume one, he wrote about all that Jesus began to teach and to do, or to do and to teach. And I, I think by implication there, then book two is what Jesus continues to do and to teach. Um, this is important, I think, for us. Luke is documenting uh, both the words and works of Jesus. Jesus was a word worker. And that's a little phrase, again, that we've uh, picked up on in the vineyard. And we, we sort of use that as kind of a protocol for ministry. We want to be word workers. We want to not just preach the word. We want to preach the word. We want to proclaim the gospel. But we also want to do the things Jesus did. It doesn't end with just proclamation. There's a proclamation and a demonstration. So if, if Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he then demonstrates the kingdom of God. And that really is uh, very much a protocol for ministry and something that we endeavor to follow after uh, here. He says in verse 2, and I'm going to go back there for just a second if I can, um, that he gave these instructions through the Holy Spirit. And you should probably, I don't know if you underline your Bible or if you don't underline your Bible. If I, my Bible is a mess. It has so much marking in it that you almost can't read what was originally written anymore. But that's an important phrase. I think that that phrase is really the interpretive key to the book of Acts. That he gave these instructions through the Holy Spirit. Um, we The... The official title of Acts, we call it the book of Acts, but it's the Acts of the Apostles. But it really should be uh, the Acts of the Apostles through the Holy Spirit. Because the working in partnership through the Holy Spirit really is the foundation and the basis for all Christian ministry. Everything we do today is through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter whether you're... And, and, and again, I think this is significant. It doesn't matter whether you're praying for healing or teaching Sunday school. It doesn't matter whether you're feeding the poor or leading worship or cleaning the bathroom. Whatever you do in the name of Jesus is done through the Holy Spirit. If you look at chapter 6, there, there was, uh, when you read, the, the, I won't read the whole text, but there, there was a food program that they were running. They're, they were distributing food to local uh, widows and people in need, which is what we're supposed to do, right? But there was some discrepancy over how it was being done. So the apostles gathered together and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. We need, we need about seven guys to do this. This is a job that's going to require, I think, seven people. So pick seven from among you, but make sure that they're men of, filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter what ministry you're involved in. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I, I, just, I think that's just the deal. You know, we think of praying for people, and we need the gifts of the Spirit to pray for people. But let me tell you, I think that the people that are teaching Sunday school will tell you that they need the Holy Spirit to do that. I, 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 just, I think that whatever we're doing, in the name of Jesus, we, we want to have the leadership, the guidance, the partnership of the Holy Spirit with us in, in all of that. Um, Luke uh, tells uh, Theophilus here that uh, Jesus appeared over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Um, I so wish he'd written some of that down. I would love to know what happened, you know, these 40 days of Jesus talking about the kingdom of God. I just couldn't, oh, it would be so nice to have that. Um, 
another little interpretive key there, I think, for us is, is simply this, that um, when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, his message was the kingdom of God. And then after his crucifixion and resurrection, his message was still the kingdom of God. Uh, nothing had changed. There's no difference between what happened then and what happened after then, which continues now. So I think, again, ministry in the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, focused on the kingdom of God, words and works, proclamation and demonstration. These are things that, that we can grab a hold of and say, that's what we're about, that's what we're for, that's how this thing works. Uh, towards the end, uh, he says that he spoke uh, about this promise that was going to come in his previous book, which again was Luke, in the very end of Luke, he says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city till you've been clothed with power from on high. So there, it's a seamless transition, really, from the end of Luke uh, at, at the pre-resurrection you know, life of Jesus and then post, after, into the book of Acts. Uh, wait, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And that's when, that's when things are going to happen. And so it, he continues on there. And then here's verse 6. And I think that this is really the part of what I want to get to today. Maybe not all of it, but... They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? I just... I, I, I don't know what the emotional state of Jesus was at this point if he was sad by that, or if he was frustrated. Uh, I don't know if he got mad, but um, he had to be a little disappointed. Everything that had happened, everything that had taken place, all that he was saying, and they still are looking for this sort of narrow, little, political, territorial kingdom. Hey, are you going to do it here and now? Is it going to be for us? Is this the place? And Jesus is going, no, no, no. You don't get it. No, no, no. It's not here. It's not political. It's not you guys. It's, it's big. It's bigger than that. It's not just here in Israel. It's not just now at this time. No, no, no. He says in verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Um, George Ladd and his work gospel of the kingdom calls that verse perhaps the most single uh, most important single verse in the word of god for god's people today lad wrote gospel of the kingdom in the 60s i think 50 or so years ago and uh, i think that's still accurate today what uh, the most important verse maybe for us to have an understanding of that god has called us to be his witnesses jerusalem judea samaria the ends of the earth um he starts i'm going to I'll give you a little... There's kind of concentric circles. The Jerusalem is the little small red circle at the bottom. That's where they are when this is taking place. And that's where they're going to start. They start where they are. That, that's logical, right? That makes sense. The, Jerusalem is their hometown, so to speak. So you begin where you are. And I think that's a, a good plan. I've heard criticisms at different times of churches where maybe you have a missions program where you've got you're supporting a missionary or, or some work in Africa or some far away place but you don't do it at home and there's a to me there's a there's a certain validity to that kind of thinking um, and and I I wouldn't I wouldn't be critical maybe God laid it on their heart to send someone to Africa I don't know but I think the natural progression would be to start where you are first 
we, we talked, first, our, our first rung of the ladder was loving our neighbors. And, and again, this summer, a thousand hours, we'll probably do a project for Soul Hope or something where we, we cut out some shoes and send them to Africa. But the vast majority of our efforts will be focused on our community, on people around us. Um, I shared a few weeks ago, I think the place we have the greatest potential for influence is those that we come in contact with the most, right? When you go to the same Starbucks, how many of you go to the same coffee shop multiple times a week? Am I the only one that does that? Uh, how many of you have gotten to know maybe the per, your barista a little bit? So you talk to them, right? You interact with them. You, or may, you know, whether it's whoever, the people you interact with in your life, you have opportunity, I think, to, to make an impact on them. And so we begin in Jerusalem, in, in our hometown. But Jesus continues. He doesn't end there. We start there. We don't end there. From there, we go into to all of Judea. Judea is their country. It's their, 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 you know, their bigger sphere of influence. So ultimately, he says, you'll spread your wings a little bit. You'll go beyond this area, out into other areas. Uh, beyond your neighborhood, uh, you know, just maybe to, I don't know, Idaho or Montana, um, California, the deepest, darkest jungles of California. Uh, you know, but from there, he says, you'll go to Samaria. And, and I want you to know, geographically, that looks like, okay, they're just branching out, which is true. But it's not just a geographic boundary, that's a cultural boundary. Okay, and that's the most important thing about that. S- Samaritans were different people. The Samaritans were a different race of people. The Samaritans had different customs, different lifestyle, different religion, different beliefs. They, w- they were different people. And uh, I would add here, they were not very well liked. The, the, the animosity between the Jews and Samaritans dates back to the beginning of Genesis. So can I just say that? As long as there had been people, they had not gotten along. But those two groups never, ever, ever liked each other very much. The Jews disliked Samaritans. They viewed them as half-breeds, really. And I don't know if that's politically insensitive for me to say that, but that's how they viewed them and looked down upon them, really, as a lesser people. So the point is simply this. There's an entire race of people that were not viewed very highly, and Jesus says, you're going to go be my witnesses to them. I want you to cross that boundary and I want you to tell those folks who I am. Telling people about Jesus doesn't end with people we like or people like us. Um, it, it, it continues on to people of other races, other cultures, other languages, other ethnicities, other religions. I have some friends um, who who have committed their lives to working with church planters in Muslim countries. And they have uh, pastors and leaders that they equip and train to work in Middle Eastern countries. It's interesting, if you go to the Vineyard Missions website, and I would encourage some of you to do that sometime, you can see all the countries in the world where a vineyard is, and 
Uh, for example, we work, I work in Nicaragua. If you click on Nicaragua, there's a whole website page that will come up about our ministry in Nicaragua. But when you go to those Middle Eastern countries, there's nothing there. It doesn't list them. There's no mention of them. There's no name. There's no contact information. It, 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 for all intents and purposes, they don't exist because you can't put that information out on the Internet. People can't know where they are because they could get killed if they do. If there's any... Any electronic correspondence between those groups, it has to be all cryptic and CIA and all hidden because you can't, they don't want anybody to know that they're there. It, it's, a, it's a dangerous, potentially life-threatening situation and yet they've committed their lives to doing that, to reaching a people that are as different from them as anyone could possibly be. Samaria was the neighboring country um, to Judea. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, uh, from there, says, and you will go to the ends of the earth. The, the Greek word there is eschaton, which we, we hear that word most frequently uh, in church with the word eschatology, which is the study of last times. But here, what he means is the last place. Jesus literally, when he says the ends of the earth, that's what he means, the ends of the earth. You'll go from here to here to here to the last place on earth. That's where you'll go. That's what he's telling them. You'll be my witnesses in the very last place. Um, That's a pattern uh, that has been utilized to strategically advance the gospel uh, and God's kingdom by Christians, you know, 2,000 years. That, that's the way it's worked. And we continue to send in, in today. Again, uh, you know, Vineyard, Vineyard, look, we're just one little slice of the pie, but I happen to know about it because it's who we are. But we're planting churches in 70 countries today. And so that's the way it's worked. We started, you know, here. And from here, we went to, to England and the UK and then to South Africa and then to other places. And now we have Vineyard churches in 70 countries. And I don't know where it'll go from there. But uh, it's just to, to show you that it, it kind of, that's how the gospel works. Um, so Jesus' response to the, 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 again, the disciples were still somewhat narrow-minded in their perspective on how the kingdom of God was going to work. They're saying, are you going to establish it here and now for us? That was sort of their perspective. And Jesus responds to that narrow-minded perspective by saying, no, it's not going to be here and now for you. It's going to go a lot farther than that. It's going to continue on uh, through time and space and through geography and cover, cover a lot of ground. He was helping them to begin to think with what I call a missional mindset. Uh, Reggie McNeil wrote a book, Missional Renaissance, uh, Changing the Scorecard for the Church. A really interesting book in terms of how we think about missions. But he says this, missional, and, and people, if you type missional in on your computer, it'll put a red line under it's not really a word but it is a word it's a word that's not a word missional is a way of living not an affiliation or activity to think and to live missionally means seeing all life as a way to be engaged with the mission of god in the world isn't that good all of life is a way to be engaged with the mission of god in the world to begin to think of the world that way and life that way and to think missionally focus our, our attention on advancing God's kingdom wherever we are, whether we're here, there, or way out there, is to think missionally. And that really is God's purpose. That's His plan for His church. That, that's what we're here for. That's what we're about. Um, 
I, I think we're all called to that, to be missional people. I don't necessarily believe that we're all called to travel cross-culturally. Some people uh, are, some aren't. Some people just don't travel well. You don't do well in other environments. And, and I think that's okay. Here's the truth, though. You don't have to go very far to encounter people that are different anymore, do you? How far do you have to go? Yeah, I don't know. Portland? Walk around downtown. Um, the truth is, you know, we had a, uh, our Tigard pastors meeting a few months ago, and one of the gals that's a principal at one of the schools here in Tigard came, and I can't remember the numbers. I'm going to probably get it wrong. But I think she told me there were 27 languages at their school in Tigard. Seriously? You don't have to go very far. Uh, you, you know what? You know how far you have to go to encounter people of different cultures? Walk up here to the house some Thursday afternoon. How many different languages of people do we have come in there on a Thursday? I don't know. A few. A few. I make the mistake every once in a while of trying to speak Spanish to somebody who doesn't speak Spanish. They're speaking something else. Whatever. I've already messed up. Um, it's just helpful, regardless of where we are, whether we travel or not, to develop a cultural awareness and sensitivity. Okay? It's just super important. And, and here's why. Because our world is not the world. Okay? Our world is not the world. The way that we live is not the way everybody lives. Okay? Uh, that picture, I don't, I don't know if you can see it very well. I took that picture in Nicaragua. There are two little boys there standing by those trees. That's their neighborhood. Those are houses. And it looks like it runs downhill, and that's because it does. They, they live in a little uh, village that's um, out, outside, it's rural, it's outside of a small city, small town. And there's no running water, or sometimes no electricity. It's, the electricity that's there is pirated in, which means somebody took a piece of wire and spun it around a nail and bent the nail and threw it over a power line and dragged it down to their house. That's how they get the power that they have. But the point is this, that they have to walk. It's not far. It's probably four or five kilometers into anywhere to go get anything. So groceries, food, toilet paper, diapers, stuff like that. You have to walk to go get that. But it's on a hill and there's a ravine that in the, there's two seasons in Nicaragua, wet season, dry season, and the rainy season, it floods. So there's a river between you and the city. And the phrase, you can't get there from here, takes on a whole new meaning. So the reason we were here, and the reason I took this picture is my friend Doug Effinger is working with an organization that builds footbridges across these ravines all over Nicaragua so people can get to where they need to go to get food in the middle of the rainy season. And my point in bringing all that up is that most of us have no concept of living a life like that. Where four or five months out of the year you can't walk into town to buy food because you can't get there. It's a whole different reality. Um, 
I don't know that we can fully comprehend the gospel. And I don't know that we can fully understand life and have empathy on people and have compassion and be the kind of people Jesus has called us to be until we realize that not everyone lives like we live. There, there is uh, uh, there's a certain inherent blessing in being born where we're born and living where we live. And, and I'm, for one, thankful for that. But the other side of that coin is this, that it also causes us to live a very insular life. And we don't always recognize that that life isn't the same life that everybody has. And, and it's easy to, again, kind of point the finger and question why people live the way they do without really having under, any understanding of the obstacles that they're up against just to get ahead. We need to develop cultural awareness. We need to, I just think it's good to travel if you can because you see the way people live in other places. I think it's good if you can't travel to read and, and to, to pay attention and to listen to what's happening in the world and to, and to understand that just because someone wasn't born here doesn't mean that God loves them any less than He loves us. Okay? You may think, well, I'm blessed to be an American, so God must love me more. But I'm telling you, God doesn't love you any more than He loves those two little boys right there. The potential for them to get ahead is minuscule. I mean, the obstacles they'll have to overcome to get a real education and to ever get a real job, not just because of where they live, but the government and the oppressive system that they're under. It's astronomical what has to happen for them to potentially get ahead. Uh, you know, I, I, I love that our, our kids go to Mexico every year and, and spend time. Um, that would be like our Samaria, right? It's, it's a neighboring country, and yet it's a whole different culture. And you drive 45 minutes south of San Diego, and all of a sudden you're in a different world. And you realize that there's people not very far away that have a, a whole different frame of reference for life than we have. I mean, come on, San Diego. That's, to me, it's like that's the promised land, you know? I mean, it's, be it's beautiful. Hotel Del Coronado, Ritz-Carlton. And then all of a sudden, we're in a different world an hour away. It, it's, it's important, I think, to have an awareness and an understanding of of political systems and, and what I would call strongholds and oppression and even religious oppression that takes place. I've talked to you about my friends in Nicaragua before, but the truth is they live in an oppressive government. 500 years of foreign governments holding them down, and then even within their own system, people take over, and the only thing they've ever known is being oppressive, and so what do they do? They oppress their own people. And it's overwhelming to think of, you know, I was talking to Mike about my friend Eugenio the other day. I'll try to wrap up here, but this is a guy, he's a, he's a solid guy. He served in the military. He was drafted, conscripted into the, the army, so he's a vet. He's educated, been to college, and he's an IT manager for the largest beverage distribution company in the country. So that would be like here, not, not Coca-Cola or Budweiser, but the company that distributes their products, okay? And he's an IT manager for that company. And I don't work in that environment, so I don't know how much a guy like that would make in this country, but it seems like a lot. 
but he makes about fourteen, fifteen thousand dollars a year as a, as a as an IT manager for a a multi a, a national corporation. I, I mean, it's unbelievable to me the, the differences. And you think, well, that's an another yeah, but that doesn't go that far there either. They still have all they have to pay for all the things we have to pay for. It's just different. It's a different life. And I just think we need to be aware of that. You know, I just, I, this thing happened in Portland a couple weeks ago, and it's been in the news. It's just tragic. This is tragic. And it, it, I, I realized a couple things. One is that person was obviously ill. He was, a, he was a sick person, right? I get that. But beyond that, I think, it just causes me to realize how aware we need to be of culture. I, I don't know about you. When I see someone from a different culture, I always make sure, I, 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 go, I try to make sure I smile at them and say, Hello, or let them know, hey, I'm a, I'm a friend. You're welcome here. I'm glad you're here. It's okay. Don't be afraid. You know, I just think those are important things to do. I, I think when it causes us, when you start thinking about issues like poverty or like immigration, and those are big issues right now. They're in the news every single day. We, we ask the question, and I think here's the thing, how is this going to affect me? But the question for me is, What's, what's gone on to bring us to this point? Why, are these, what, what's, why is this person in the situation they're in? What happened to their life? If people are fleeing their country, I don't want to just say, well, hey, wait a minute, what makes them think they can all come here? But I want to know, what are they fleeing from? And, if, and then I want to say, okay, if I was in their situation, what would I do? Would I not try to get my family out of there too? I don't know. Maybe I would. I just think there's a need for us to be culturally aware and to be willing to understand that Jesus died for everyone and that He loves all people, regardless of who they are, where they've come from, or what their background is. And He's called us to be His representatives and His ambassadors and and to extend His grace and His mercy and His kingdom to them as well. Okay, let's stand.